0: Hi everyone, and welcome to Academic Dean, where we connect with passionate college leaders who share their stories and viewpoints of higher education, especially lessons learned along the way. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dave Gurchak.
1: Hi everyone, today I'd like to welcome Dr. Lori Chesley to our show. Dr. Chesley is the president of Central Oregon Community College in Bend, Oregon. Hi, Lori, I'm excited to have you on our show today.
0: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited too.
1: So tell me about Central Oregon Community College and why students select your institution.
0: Sure, well, um, Central Oregon is one of the most beautiful regions of the country that I've ever seen. Um, But like most community colleges, most of our students are from our district. So they've lived in this beautiful area for years by the time they select us. Um, We are actually the state's oldest community college at I think a little over 70 years old. And so we have a a long and uh, really positive reputation um, here in the state. The reason that students come is obviously um, excellence and affordability, right? But when students come from outside of our district, they tend to come certainly for those things, but for some of our more unique programs. For instance, we have an aviation program that draws students from the Western part of the United States. Uh, We have a culinary program, uh, which also has uh, uh a, a far reach in terms of its recruiting and enrollment. And so I would say it's a combination of things. Um, oops and pardon me, I forgot I forgot the other one. We also have a residence hall, which mm. is fairly unique as you would know for a for a community sure. college. So um, with that residence hall, we have a very vibrant student life, uh, student campus life um, intramural sports, club sports, uh, all kinds of clubs, uh, and other activities. So, uh, so to, to sum it up, excellent reputation, highly affordable. We're in a beautiful spot with some niche programs, um, and, uh, a rich campus life.
1: Oh yeah. You know, the, the aviation is always interesting to me because that, that, must cost a lot of money to run, to say the least. So, is that more mechanic? Is that more mechanic? Is that uh, drones? What is
0: that? It's, um, uh, I'm trying to use the technical terms, it's fixed wing and helicopters and oh, okay. drones. And so drones. Our okay. actual flight programs.
1: Wow. Holy cow. That's exciting. Yeah,
0: have, it's very, very exciting. We have a nice partnership uh, with a local aviation company called Leading Edge. And that partnership really allows us access to, um, you know, some of the most up-to-date training equipment and materials. And, um, and it, and it, you know, it helps make it affordable for us to do.
1: So So we're really fortunate. So I, so gosh, those have to be two-year degree programs, I assume, right? Mm
0: -hmm, Yeah.
1: Do you have anything, um, that is more of a, a certificate program that's a little bit unique for you guys?
0: Hmm. Um, you know, um, I'm from Michigan originally. So um, we are not the only fire science program uh, in, in the state of Oregon in a community college. Um, but from my perspective, that's a fairly, a fairly unique niche that we fill here in Central Oregon. And you, you know from the news that um, wildfires are a huge problem, not only in our state, but throughout the Western US. Um, and so um, we're really proud of that program uh, and the, the, what our graduates do for this community. One of our key areas that we are looking to strengthen, we're, look, we're proud of what we already do, but we think there's room for us to grow is advanced manufacturing. Mm. Um, uh, So we are part of a statewide consortium grant from the Department of Labor, uh, a $5 million grant, that's not all for COCC, but amongst all of the partners. Um, And some of the work we're doing is updating equipment, Uh, working even more closely with local employers to make sure that our curricula meet their needs and also looking at how some certainly not all manufacturing coursework could even be put online and and offered virtually now clearly there are some things you're never going to do in manufacturing virtually but we recognize the need across the state we serve a huge region. We actually have three branch campuses in addition to our central campus. So um, that's that's an area that our our region is particularly asking for. Um, particularly, Redmond, Oregon, is a is a real manufacturing hub in our state.
1: Oh, that's that's really interesting, and and I and I really do appreciate that. You know, I mean, I. You know, I was a two-year dean. And if you went down, well, when 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 that pandemic hit, that kind of turned everything upside down. And you know, almost everything before that was we can't teach this online. And then afterwards, all of a sudden you can teach it online. They most faculty really stepped up for that. And many, okay. but it's but when you're a two-year school, you're a hands-on school. And so hands-on means how do you <laughs> it's tough to do that online. So uh uh, I think that's pretty neat that you're looking at manufacturing and stuff to kind of promote that so so it'd be a hybrid pretty much uh,
0: eventually yes, I would say a hybrid program um, for those who would choose that option um, I can't imagine us moving completely away from our face-to-face instruction in that area
1: yeah I, uh, most of the most of the college presidents I've talked to I think that's their I don't want to say fear, but they're kind of concerned uh, because of just what I said is two-year schools are hands-on schools. So don't try to make us something we're not. And we need to make sure students come to us to do hands-on training. And so, yeah, I get that. Um,
0: I I think that um, one of the fascinating things that we're all going to be watching is how COVID and uh, remote instruction is going to impact uh, the future of higher education, uh, community colleges in particular, and um, to what degree it is going to change our students and our business partners' expectations of what we can do. And I think uh, we're going to we're going to be pushed, and I think that's a good thing. Um, Initially, our students weren't that fond of remote instruction. They loved, you know, to our faculty's credit, they loved the communication and the care they got from our faculty, but they didn't like the mode of delivery. And uh, a survey we we took fairly recently shows increasing number of students who want completely online classes or completely face-to-face hybrid was the least popular and so you know I think that students getting used to the mode of delivery realizing that it has some advantages in terms of flexibility so um, interesting times are not going to end with COVID.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah I was talking I was talking earlier today I had another podcast and I was talking to another college president and he's roughly about my age. So that means he's close to retiring. And he said, thank goodness I'm on my downslope because he goes, I can't imagine what the next 10 years is going to be for higher ed of how much it's going to be challenging and interesting and fun, but also that first word again, challenging. So
0: yeah, yeah, I agree. So I'm not that close to retirement.
1: (laughs) So you're going to be with us for a while. I'm I'm going to be
0: riding this, uh, this trend for a long time.
1: What's new at Central Oregon College? What's on the horizon?
0: Oh, gosh, you know, uh, one of the things that I alluded to earlier was that we have a really strong transfer program for uh, for students who wish to complete a bachelor's degree or beyond go to a four-year university. And the origins of our college are really in that mission. And over the years, we've developed a number of really robust and highly regarded workforce development programs. But I still think there's room in the in this booming Central Oregon population to do more and uh, to be more responsive. And so, A lot of our efforts in the past couple of years have been around building the internal structures that we need to support robust workforce development instead of having some of our great academic programs kind of fend in for themselves. You know, institutionally, we need to support this work. And so that's been a big focus. Mm. Looking even more at customized employer trainings. Uh, We've done some really good work with the local healthcare system to develop medical assistant and Mm -hmm. CNA training programs at their facility for their workers in a in a format that wouldn't be, um, that wouldn't look exactly like it does if you're on campus. You know, the same outcomes, the same quality, the same standards, but um, it's caused us to be to think a little bit more flexibly and so you know i'm really excited we're always going to be a strong transfer institution i never want that to change uh, i just want to make sure that we're meeting the community's needs around workforce development as well
1: yeah i agree you know the 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 workforce development component when you look at a community college you're absolutely right you know the big mission, transfer, but, but that's how careers get started too, is at community colleges. And so I, yeah, I, in fact, I've talked to a couple of college presidents we're starting to see um, where there's, they're getting hung up on almost the old votech days. We're going to start using two-year schools to strictly do certificates or micro credentials. And then the four-year schools will deal strictly with the degrees. And it's like, wait a minute, you know, can't, can't we do both? I guess is my question
0: well um i i certainly think we can do both i think students who seek bachelor's degrees uh, many of them cannot afford four year institutions we're their only uh we're their only chance financially and we may be their only chance academically right because we are open admissions and everybody has an opportunity to be successful um and we support students of all uh, abilities and of all backgrounds. And so, I don't see community colleges getting out of the business of transfer education. I would, um, I would be, I would be ready to take up cudgels about that. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Me too. You know, so, some students need uh, just a few extra months to get their feet exactly. under them and, and two-year education seems to do that so well where you get tossed and I'm not trying to say anything negative about universities but you get tossed in no. an area where you're sitting in a classroom of 400 students you know or these big lecture halls or you just feel a little bit lost because there's x amount of students on campus they need a semester or two semesters sometimes a couple of semesters to mm-hmm. to get their feet under them so
0: absolutely you know the the university mission is is vital to society as well um, and we we each have our unique niches. Um, and they overlap a little, but not really that much when you think yeah. about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, the kind of diversity of student population that we see, you know, we've got 40 year old men and women coming back to retrain.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I'll tell you, if I had to, take a placement test for a math class, it wouldn't be pretty. I mean, I, I, yeah. in fact, I, I, I have now admitted that publicly on a podcast.
1: <laughs> well, well, you're, 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 you're a very honest person. I would say the same thing. It, it is a tough gig. I tell you. Um, well, let's talk about you. Can you, can you talk about yourself and the path that led you to become the sixth president at central Oregon college?
0: Sure. Um, well, I, I was your typical nerdy kid who loved going to school. I was the kid who was sorry when it was summer vacation. Uh, when I went to college, I was convinced that I had found the promised land and I needed to find a way to spend the rest of my life in higher ed and I have found it. Um, I began um, as an English professor, and did that work for about 15 years, I think, and uh, then was given some opportunities to um, do some administrative work on a a part-time basis or on an interim basis. And I really, really enjoyed that work as well. I never planned that I would be an administrator. people often ask me, well, did you, did you go into administration because you, you, you didn't like teaching? And I'm, and I say, absolutely not. I love teaching, uh, going into administration, odd as it may seem, was a calling, not a fleeing. (laughs) Mm, Uh, and, uh, so, um, enjoyed the work and then gradually, uh, began to think I had a little bit of ability at it and wanted to challenge myself more and more. And, uh, so I spent most of my career in Michigan in the Midwest, um, uh, about almost five years ago, my husband of 28 years passed away. Hmm. And, uh, and I, uh, you know, had been dealing with that and, uh, And realized it was time to try something new, to challenge myself again. I was a provost in my last position. And uh, so I started looking at jobs in the Midwest and in Oregon. Because he and I had traveled here on vacation quite frequently when we were younger people. And I can remember uh, standing on the Oregon coast and turning to him and saying, this wouldn't be a bad place to end up. So uh, Oregon was on my list and then the, the rest is history. The, this institution was uh, uh, kind enough to hire me.
1: Yeah, I, I see that you were the, the uh, provost out at the Grand Rapids uh, Community College in Michigan. Mm-hmm. How long were you there?
0: Uh, I was at that institution for 14 years. Um, and you know, here's a moved up in the, right. uh, organizational structure. I began as an associate Dean, became the Dean, became the provost.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Um, when did you realize you wanted to be a college president?
0: <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't remember any great moment of realization. Um, you know, I think at some point, uh, I had some really good mentors like Roberta Tian, who we were discussing, um, who encouraged me, um, thought I had some ability. And again, I just really liked the work. I liked the variety of it. I liked learning new things. I liked to challenge myself. Uh, and it was certainly a different world than what I had intended back in graduate school. So I, I'm not sure exactly when.
1: Yeah. I, I would say, I I know I wanted to be a Dean. I just don't know when I wanted to be a Dean. It just seemed like I moved out of that path from fact. I just like you, you just move out of the yeah. path and you just start doing it and you start enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I understand that. Um, who's been the biggest influence in your career and why?
0: That's a great question. You know, I think, um, Uh, As I said, I've had some really great mentors who are my colleagues and uh, Robbie Tian would be one of those. And uh, another friend from our days at Northwestern Michigan College in Traverse City uh, is Marguerite Coteau. And we still get together, you know, again, probably 25 years after we first met there uh, and have supported each other in that work. Um, But there have also been um, some leaders that, I just learned so much from and I admired. Um, And, you know, I would say that two of them are uh, Hilda Helley from Grand Rapids Community College. She was the provost before I was the provost. And she was one of the smartest, most strategic thinkers I've ever met. And she helped me to learn to think a little bit more strategically and uh, really opened my eyes to the fact that my work should be to make the student experience and student learning better. It you know if, if you make faculty's experience better, that's great. If you make institutional processes better, that's great. But the main thing you have to think about is serving the students uh, and 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 by extension, the community, and uh, she used to say, uh, "We are we are like the tech theater people behind the stage, right? And the faculty and the students are out front. We're behind the scenes. We're supposed to make things run smoothly." Mm. And I I always liked that. And then uh, the pre- one of the presidents that I served under at GRCC, uh, Steve Ender, He's re- retired now. Um, I had a great deal of admiration for him because he, um, he did things that were very difficult and that were very unpopular and he did not waver. Uh, he had a strong sense of what he believed to be right. Um, and he, um, you know, it uh, personally, I think that that position sometimes took a toll but he did it, and I, and I realized you can you can be a really strong leader and make some important changes at institutions, uh, and you can survive it, and people will support you, and the institutional will end up better for it.
1: Right. point. Yeah. Um, what's your definition of leadership, and what's been your leadership priorities as president at COCC?
0: Yeah, you know, I um, I. I'm disappointed. I feel like I should have a, a specific leadership definition or philosophy, <laughs> but my my view of leadership is really pretty eclectic. Um, I don't espouse one philosophy for every situation. Um, there are writers and uh, thinkers on the subject, um, and I admire bits and pieces of their wisdom. Um, I would say I, uh, I, I espouse um, servant leadership to a strong degree, but it's not, not what I lead with exclusively. So I I always feel kind of when I'm asked in interviews, I feel a little bit inferior to not have uh, my, my one philosophy. I think that, um, you know, I think that what Guides me are some values that I try to keep at the forefront, um, rather than a than a philosophy. Mm-hmm. And different uh, maintain those values, but sometimes different situations and different people, while still being equitable, treating everyone equitably, they they require a different approach.
1: Well since you since you stepped into those shoes as President in 2019, what, what's the priorities now for you uh, on yeah. campus?
0: Yeah um, I, I, We had a plan, we had a plan and then COVID came, right? right. Um, but uh, there were several there are several key priorities that my board and I have set together. Um, one of those is expanding, And improving e learning. Um, And so COVID helped with that, right? (laughs) Um, uh, One of them was uh, expanding and becoming more responsive in the area of workforce development. And another was improving our outreach to our entire district, not just the district in Bend, and really not even just at our branch campuses, but beyond that. And not surprisingly, a lot of that involves e-learning and a lot of that involves workforce development. So I see um, a lot of synergy between those three goals.
1: Well, what's been some of the biggest lessons you've learned as an academic leader and also what advice can you give to someone who transitions from provost to president?
0: I, I think that's a great question. Um, I think that I think that one of the best ways you prepare to be a president is to um, understand, to the best of your ability, the challenges of all of the major enterprises that you find at an institution of higher learning Um, so whenever it was that i realized i wanted to be a president i was pretty thoughtful about you know i really don't know a whole lot about information technology and what their struggles are and um, and how they support um, the academic mission so I'm going to volunteer for, you know, a, an initiative or a committee that will never help me under it will never help me be an IT person, but at least will help me understand culture and major issues. Um, and so that meant that, you know, sometimes I was I volunteered for things that I might in my heart might not be the most interesting things I've ever done. <laughs> but I thought you you need to know this. You need to understand better. Um, And I think whatever position you're moving up from, you realize that with every step, you have to take more and more of a college-wide perspective. It's important to be an advocate for the people that you work with. But at some point, you have to understand there's also the college, and you have a responsibility to the institution. And so, as much as you can learn about the challenges across higher ed, and as much as you can learn that, um, that If the college doesn't exist and the college isn't healthy, you're not going to serve students in the community, right? So um, it's easy sometimes for a good academic like me to kind of dismiss budgetary concerns, right? Um, Oh, we don't need reserves that are that high. Well, yeah, you do. (laughs) Um, So so always trying to get a, a... a broader perspective of the higher education enterprise Um, and i i'm going to admit this on this podcast in my uh, you know i've only been a president for two years so take this for what it's worth other people with more experience might say something differently i actually think in a lot of ways the job of a provost is more difficult Um, i think that there's there can be a lot more challenge and conflict and um, passion around the kinds of debates that you get into, uh, and so um, you know people tend to be a little bit deferential to the president in ways they aren't always to the provost. So I hope I'm not shocking anyone. Um,
1: Oh, that's, 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 that's the (laughs) honest goodness truth. I agree. It's true. I I, I agree. Yes. It's sometimes you have to wear a vest as a provost, I
0: would say. Mm -hmm. Kevlar. Yeah. (laughs) Kevlar.
1: Um, Well, what's been, you know, you said two years old, but uh, it sounds like you've done some great things there. What's been some of the proudest moments you've done? What's uh, that's come out of your presidency so far?
0: Well, um, this is not and this isn't me, uh, but I couldn't be prouder of our faculty and our staff and our students for their resilience through COVID. Um, It has been amazing to me um, how people just put their head down and got to work when this happened. We didn't debate about who got what or how we were gonna do it. We didn't think about what somebody else was getting or what this unit uh, might have to give up. It was just all hands on deck. And we became um, really one unit in a way I've seldom seen at a a higher education institution. I think that's particularly true of, um, well, I saw it firsthand more with my um, executive team. you know, that, that was, that was the problem we needed. It was the, we were thinking like, what projects should we do together so we can practice and improve our teamwork? Well, it landed in our laps and we couldn't have had a better one. Um, and I was just really proud of the way everybody pulled on the same rope and were willing to get their hands dirty <laughs> and do whatever it took to be done. So, you know, I'm proud of that. I don't know what I uh, that that necessarily has anything to do with me. Uh, I think it has a lot to do with the faculty and staff who are here. And um, by far the happiest moment was uh, a few weeks ago, we did an in person drive through commencement. And, and I, you know, those are the moments you realize why you're here. And it was just a oh, wonderful. Oh, that's good. How
1: you know? So, and I've heard people tell me this too: is that um, nobody wants to say the pandemic was good for anything, but it seems like it did help at some colleges kind of bring people a little bit better together and circle their wagons and try to do what's best for the college. So now that it's now that it's getting a little bit behind us a teeny bit how are you going to keep that momentum within your team and on campus? Because it's going to change again. So I'm curious, does it go back to how it was or how, you know, how, how does a good leader keep that going?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, the the most difficult thing for me as a leader has always been, you know, sort of this notion of change management and and how do you uh, uh, push and encourage and, bring people along willingly um, so that you can make progress and not push people so hard that you're not going to get anywhere and not push enough so that nothing nothing really changes for the better right we're a great institution but we can be better so i wish i had um a magic formula for how I do that. Um, But I, I listen a lot to my board and I listen a lot to the faculty and staff um, and try to push and encourage enough so that people aren't exhausted and people are exhausted after COVID. Yeah. That's not hard to see. Um, So, we wanna keep improving and doing new and better things. But I also don't think that the, however many months of stress that we've had with COVID was long-term sustainable and healthy, right? Um, So I think that's gonna be a real challenge. I don't, you know, I'm not sure uh, how how we're gonna manage that. I know that many, of our staff are really rethinking how they how they're most productive and how they prefer to do their work. And it's kind of like with the students with remote learning. At first, everybody disliked working from home. Well, now there are some advantages to it. And so we're going to have to figure out together what's the right mix because our work modes, remote or in the office, those are dependent on what our our customers need and want. So how will our students' desires and needs be different? How might our uh, community partners' desires and needs be different? Um, Internally, what will we expect of each other? Um, Because we, we not only have external customers, we have internal customers, and so we're gonna. Um, although folks want an answer really quickly, we're gonna take our time and figure that out in a in a collaborative and transparent way, um, because we're here to serve, right? I always want employees to be happy, uh, uh, and um, and love working here. But the the first consideration on what will work look like in the future is what do our students need and what does our community
1: need? Uh, Well, it's safe to say that before you start looking for answers, you need to always ask the right questions. So what questions do you think need to be asked regarding the future of higher education?
0: Most of higher education is governed by uh, regional accrediting agencies, which engage in peer review. And um, we're also regulated by the, you know, the federal government and the Department of Ed. And, um, you know, no, nobody likes regulation of any kind. But I think that one of the questions that we need to answer is, what's the right balance between our own self-evaluation as a means of improving our work and the evaluation of others, external folks. Um, There are, there can be, by the way, I used to be a peer reviewer um, and I think peer review is an important element of, of higher education. I wouldn't want to eliminate peer review, but there are, you know, there are weaknesses or a downside to that sometimes. And you know, we, it's it's often that you know administrators don't like rules from the feds, <laughs> or you know what what else is coming out of the Department of Ed. But there's a benefit to having external parties look at what we do as well. Um, so what's the right balance, and will the right balance help us be adapt, as adaptable as we're going to need to be? with the speed of change that we're seeing. Um, so I guess another way, uh, another sub question is, how are we gonna become flexible enough to survive? Um, because that's not that's not always our strong suit. A, rela- you know, a related question is how do we show to people the value of higher education because We know in recent years um, there are a lot of entities of all kinds questioning whether a higher education is worth it, uh, questioning the cost of it, um, questioning what what careers or professional paths we should be training for, and you know that those are those are legitimate questions. Is what, what, what do our students get when they're done and how much did they pay for it? As much as we, we don't like that, that kind of thought about regulation, it's important. Yeah, that's what, do our, what do our students get and what did they pay for it?
1: Well, I have one more question and, and um, has to do about if you have any f- favorite books on leadership that you would recommend to other academic leaders.
0: Um, As I said, my my interests are, you know, my likes are fairly eclectic. Um, You know, I tend to like books about famous leaders leaders and the challenges that they faced. And maybe that's the English teacher in me that likes a good narrative. Um, One of the, one of the historical figures I am fascinated by is a man named Ernest Shackleton. Um, And you've probably heard of him, he was an Antarctic explorer, uh, whose ship got caught in the ice and was smashed. And he led his crew, every single one of them, through the most incredibly difficult circumstances, uh, back to safety. And you might say, wow, that that's you Know you don't do anything as grandiose as that in higher ed Laurie. And and I don't, I've never done anything like that at all. But I there there are books about his leadership. Um, I think one's called Leading Into the Edge. Ah, I shouldn't even, I shouldn't even mention, but his story and the various renditions of it um, are really fascinating to me. And one of the key leadership lessons that people who've studied his expedition uh, get. Well, one of the reasons why he was so successful is there's always another move. If, if you sit still and you're paralyzed and you just keep thinking about what, is it right to go to this ice flow or stay on the one we're on, you will die. You have to, there's always another move. You always have to keep making decisions and there's always something else you can do Um, and i've just always liked that you know there are there are lots of problems in in higher ed that everybody has and that we've had for years and years and years there's always another move there's always something else to try so i'm going to choose you know saying i like to read biographies and studies of some of the great leaders Um, of history. It is, it is so much more exciting than what I do on a daily basis. So it's also entertaining.
1: Uh, Well, that's a nice way to end our conversation today. Um, Lori, thanks so much for being on our show. I really enjoyed our conversation.
0: My pleasure. I really appreciate you having me and uh, good luck to you in this endeavor. You've interviewed a number of really fascinating people and I'm going to enjoy listening to them.
1: Well, that wraps up today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening.
0: Take care. Thanks for listening to today's episode and make sure to visit our website at academicdean.com for additional information. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.